Every single person on this planet matters. They matter to God, which means they must matter to us. And so for the Christian, what we actually say and do, the words that we speak and the actions we take every day could not matter more because the people who do not know Jesus Christ, who are living all around us, they see how we're living our lives in relationship to what we say we believe. And so, first of all, the words, the, the actual words that we speak are so important in those relationships because words not only convey information in general, of course, but they convey things like truth. They convey feelings, they convey intent, right? they can educate and guide and direct us throughout our lives. The truth is words can affirm, they can validate and build up and inspire us. And of course, uh, they can do the opposite of all of that as well. Words can be used like a weapon, right, to tear down, to hurt people and to manipulate others. The words we speak are critically important in our human relationships, and yet as important as words are, there's something else that can carry even more weight than our words, and that is our actions, particularly if our actions don't line up with our words. In that case, when our actions and our words are communicating two very different messages, it is our actions that are telling the truth, right? Because our actions speak louder than our words. And yet again, that doesn't mean that our words don't matter. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Mark 16, 15. King David wrote, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96, 2 and 3. The apostle Paul wrote, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, Ephesians 4.15. You see, there's no reality for the Christian where we go through life without ever actually articulating the gospel to anyone and still think we're sharing the gospel effectively simply by how we live. I've heard many people say that, that you don't need words to communicate the gospel, but actually you do. In fact, those words are so important that God wrote them down for us so that we would never forget how to actually say them. Our words are deeply important. And yet at the same time, you'll notice that every one of those commands I just read about proclaiming the gospel, about speaking the truth, about telling of his salvation, every one of those commands also involves us taking some kind of action. You see, because it is our actions that give weight to our words. When what we do agrees with what we say. Our actions give weight to our words. And so the truth is, we need both. We need our words and our actions saying the same thing if we're going to communicate the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that is lost, to a world that matters. Okay, I'm sure most of you can relate to a time in your life when someone told you they loved you and yet their actions didn't match their words, most of us have probably experienced that to one degree or another. I certainly have. Yet at the same time, 
Most of us have probably done something in our lives that didn't line up with our words because we're all fallible, right? We're all imperfect people. I've been guilty of that as well. And when that happens, when our actions and our words communicate two very different messages, there is a cost associated with that incongruence, that, that conflict of messages, which most often takes its toll on our human relationships. Yet look, as difficult as that may be, when you apply that same truth to your relationship with Christ, the cost is infinitely higher because when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, your actions not only speak to him, but they speak to the rest of the world who hears what you say about Jesus and at the same time, they're watching to see whether or not you're actually living for him. It's honestly, honestly, it's a matter of life or death, not only for us, but for those who are watching, watching to see whether or not our actions are communicating the same message as our words, particularly when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Okay, the Bible is clear. We can lead people toward Jesus Christ and we can lead people away from him. We have the power to do both. The Apostle Paul said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. That's your actions and your words. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16, when your words and your actions are saying the same thing, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are leading people to him, even as you draw closer to him yourself whether you realize it or not. And yet when your words and your actions are sending two very different messages, people will actually ignore your words. And they will instead pay attention to your actions. We'll see this in our story today because it is your actions that are telling the truth about you. When they don't line up with your words, you will lead people away from Christ even as you're distancing yourself from him, whether you realize it or not. When the author and uh, president of the Barna Group, David Kinnaman, took a poll among non-Christian Americans concerning the Christian faith, he found that their biggest problem with Christianity actually wasn't with Jesus, and it wasn't a theological one at all. In fact, they gave the Bible's teachings very high marks. However, nine out of ten of those polled said they perceived Christians to be hypocritical and judgmental based on how they actually lived their lives. See, that's a matter of our actions not lining up with our words. And the world is watching. Not for perfection, by the way. Right? Other people simply need to see our actions lining up with our words when it comes to our faith, even when we mess up. In fact, maybe especially when we mess up. Because again, we're not just damaging our own relationship with Christ when our actions don't match our words, but we're actually leading other people further away from him as well. And that damage can reverberate in other people's lives long after we're gone. We have a powerful example of that in our story today as we continue to work our way through the book of Judges when at the end of Gideon's life, what he said and what he did was sending two very different messages to the people around him. And as can be expected, what he did spoke far louder in the lives of others than anything he ever said, and the results speak for themselves. So let's pick up the story then where we left off last week 
at Judges chapter 8. And we'll begin by reading verses 22 through 28. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites are associated with the Midianites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in, in, the, uh, in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. So after Gideon completes this overwhelmingly lopsided military route of the Midianites, the enemy of the Israelites, which we saw last week, the people of Israel want to make Gideon their king. Now listen to what Gideon says. I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Okay? That is the right answer. Gideon says the right thing. It's exactly what needed to be said. It's exactly what these people needed to hear. It's exactly what someone who is following God and in Gideon's position should say. Besides which, what did Gideon actually do to merit himself as a ruler over Israel anyway, right? It was God who chose Gideon. It was God who instructed him to tear down the altar of Baal. It was God who assured him over and over again that he was with him, even though Gideon didn't trust God's word spoken directly to him. It was God who answered every test that Gideon put before him. It was God who handpicked the soldiers who would go with Gideon. It was God who predetermined the outcome of the battle. It was God who sent the enemy into confusion to the point that they killed each other without Gideon initially having to lay a finger on them. And it was God who ultimately gave the Midianites into Gideon's hand, just as he said he would from the beginning. God was solely responsible for the triumph of Israel over their enemies, and so when they asked Gideon to be their king, he says exactly what he should have said. When you read it in the Hebrew, Gideon literally says, it is the Lord and no other who shall rule over you. In other words, you already have a king. Well said. Gideon. But then look what he does. Immediately after what he says, he takes all their golden earrings, 1,700 shekels of gold. That's 43 pounds of gold and fine cloth from the Midianite kings and the gold crescent ornaments and precious jewels, the pendants worn by the kings. And Gideon makes an ephod and sets it up in his own hometown. Now, the original ephod in the Old Testament was this ornate ceremonial garment. It was worn only by the high priest in Exodus 28 and 39. And according to the Mosaic law, there was only ever to be one ephod in all of Israel. Why? Because it was used to inquire of God through divination 
on behalf of all the people of Israel. This was a sacred garment. And so attached to the ephod was this breastplate of judgment with 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel set in four rows. And then there was a pocket on that breastplate over the heart which contained the Urim and Thummim. These are two precious stones. You can read about them uh, in Exodus 28.30, in Leviticus 8.8, 8, in Numbers 27.21, in Deuteronomy 33.8, 1 Samuel 14, all through the Old Testament. And these two stones were part of the ephod used to determine God's will divinely, supernaturally, on behalf of God's people. So this, this ephod was kept with the current high priest only, along with the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, generally at Shiloh, occasionally at Bethel at this point in uh, Israel's history. So this is a sacred garment to be used strictly by the high priest in the right place at the right time as directed by the Mosaic law. And so for Gideon, to make his own golden ephod out of the earrings of their enemies, setting it up in his own hometown to be used at his own discretion, where his own people would worship it instead of Yahweh after this miraculous deliverance from their enemies by God himself. This was akin to Aaron making the golden calf out of the Egyptians' golden earrings in Exodus 32 after God miraculously delivered that generation of Israelites from their enemies. This was nothing less than apostasy. While Gideon was telling the people that the Lord was the only one who would ever rule over them at the very same time he is setting himself up in the place of the high priest to rule over them. Now, which message tells the truth about Gideon's heart and intentions? What Gideon says or what Gideon does? Of course, it's what Gideon does. And notice, that is also the message between the two that the people are following as they worship the ephod instead of worshiping God. And listen, although human culture constantly changes, human nature never changes, which means people will follow your actions over your words every time, just as they did in Gideon's day. You see, Gideon could talk about following God all that he wanted to, but when his actions reflected the opposite, the people followed his actions instead of his words. And it's the very same for us today. You cannot lead people to Christ when you're chasing after idols. Why? Because people will follow what you do before they follow what you say. And so if you're chasing after idols in your life and people are following you, which they will, by the way, th then where do you think they're going to end up? Probably chasing after those very same idols. This is why it is so important that our actions line up with our words. Because you can talk about how much you love Jesus all you want to, but if you're chasing after other things in your life more than you're chasing after Jesus Christ, first of all, people aren't stupid, right? It's not hard to tell what matters the most in someone's life, where they spend their money, their time, their energy, their focus, right? What they talk about, what they long for, what they aspire to achieve in their lives. If it all points to Christ, then what they say about him will all line up with what they do for him. But listen, 
if your money and time and energy and focus is largely spent on other pursuits, people, especially those who are close to you, those who follow you, they can see that too. And they will most often learn to chase after those very same idols instead of Jesus by watching you and following you, okay? So ask yourself, what grabs my attention the most? What compels me to action the most? What drives me to do what I do every day? What is my greatest motivation in this life? Because if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and yet the answers to those questions is anything other than Jesus Christ, then to those around you, your actions are speaking much louder than your words, whether you realize it or not. And all the talk about loving him and following him is being drowned out by the idols that you're chasing in your life. It's why verse 27 says that the ephod became a snare to Gideon and to his family because Gideon said all the right things, but his actions sent a very different message and it led his family away from God instead of toward him. Okay, when our actions, uh, when our actions and our words line up, our actions give weight to our words, but when they don't line up, our actions can actually invalidate our words. Now listen, if you want people to care about what you have to say, then be the person you say you are. Not, not perfect, of course, and we're not claiming to be perfect. But if you're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must follow him more than you follow anything else in your life. I'll just tell you... <laughs> There aren't many things more frustrating in this world for me personally than to listen to someone talk whose actions rarely seem to line up with their words because they continually invalidate what they say by what they actually do. And so taking time to listen to them talk seems almost counterproductive. In fact, it can be very draining, to be honest. I used to work in the construction industry. I owned two uh, small construction companies for a long time. And I'll just tell you, there are some really fantastic contractors out there. In fact, we have some here in our church. And I've not only heard what they have to say, but I've seen what they can do. And it's impressive. They represent themselves and the Lord very well. But the truth is, as in all industries, there are always those whose actions don't line up with their words. And right or wrong, I finally got to the point in that industry where I was so discouraged by the disparity between what so many of them would tell me they were going to do and then what they would actually do. That I got to the point where when a new guy was coming to do a job for me and he would pull up at the job site for the first time, of course, the, uh, the first thing they want to do when they're trying to sell their services to you is to tell you everything that they're going to do for you. And I get that. But I actually got to the point where I would literally just say to them, listen, we can talk about the next job after this job is done. Because honestly, sir, and I mean no offense, but I am just not interested in what you have to say until I see what you actually do. Now, truthfully, that was probably unfair <laughs> to some of those guys who really did follow through. So I'm not even saying that that was good behavior on my part. I'm simply saying that no one is interested in listening to what we have to say if our actions don't line up with our words. Because when they don't line up, 
our actions are invalidating our words, which means, look, it doesn't do us or God or anyone else on this entire planet one bit of good for us to talk about how much we love and follow Jesus if our actions are not saying the very same thing because no one is listening to us if what we do reflects something different than what we say. As Christians, we're called by Christ to be men and women of action. He never called anyone to do nothing, right? Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. We are, every single one of us, called to a lifetime of action, a lifetime spent doing the works of Christ so that when we share the gospel by speaking the truth of God's word to others, our actions actually give weight to those words. Why? So that people will worship him. Give glory to your father who is in heaven when they see your good works instead of all the worthless idols that so many people chase after today. Even so many professing Christians, those who get caught up in the lure of this world and claim to love him more than anything else while chasing after just about everything else. This is exactly what was happening with Gideon. And it became a snare for him and his family. Let's keep reading verses 29 through 31. Jeroboam, that's another name for Gideon, by the way. Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And he called his name Abimelech. Now, these three little verses on the surface seem to be fairly innocuous, fairly uh, unexceptional when it comes to the weight of this story, but actually there's a lot being said here in these verses because they describe in Gideon's life at this point privileges which were typically only exercised in the life of ancient Near Eastern monarchs, kings. Okay, first of all, uh, the riches, the spoils of war uh, that Gideon requested back in verse 26 amounted to a royal treasure. The gold, the precious jewels, and the royal raiment, the royal clothing that he kept was befitting a king. Then he sets up a sacred ephod for his own personal use in verse 27, befitting only the high priest. And then here in verse 30, he creates his own harem, which was indicative of the monarchy throughout the Fertile Crescent at the time. And by the way, you didn't have a harem if you didn't also have considerable wealth and prosperity because it cost a tremendous amount of money to support that many wives and subsequent children, says 70 boys alone, which means Gideon kept a lot of that wealth from the war spoils for himself as any king would do. It's in sharp contrast with the way he describes his family back in chapter 6, verse 15, when he says we're the poorest or the weakest in Manasseh. And then finally... If there was any doubt left about Gideon's true intentions here, we see in verse 31 that he names one of his sons Abimelech. He's the subject, actually, of the next chapter of the story, chapter 9. And if you translate the meaning of the name Abimelech from the ancient Hebrew, it literally means, my father is king. Okay. So Gideon, who says he will not be king over Israel, names his son, my father is king. 
And then he takes the riches of a king, the harem of a king, and the privileges of the high priest, all while telling the people they should not elevate him, but God alone in their lives. Gideon's actions did not line up with his words. Now, which do you think they followed? His words or his actions? Of course, they followed his actions. They stood in line to give him their gold, and they whored after the same idols that he allowed in his own life. Because you cannot expect people to elevate God in their lives based on your words alone. No, when your actions are saying something completely different, and I'm telling you this applies just the same to us today, you cannot elevate Christ in your life when you are busy elevating yourself. A lot of people will say to me, hey man, I'm not elevating myself, I'm just trying to get by. The truth is, we should all probably take stock from time to time of how just, uh, of just how much we honor ourselves with our time instead of honoring Christ with our time. You hear me? I'm, I'm talking to myself here while I'm talking to you, okay? You understand where I'm coming from. But listen, if you spend more time on social media every day than you do in the Word of God, then you're honoring yourself with your time more than you're honoring Christ with your time. People tell me that because of their schedules, they only have time early in the morning or late at night to 